Well, Keystone Church, good morning. It's good to have you join us uh, online for our second uh, time being just gathered together online. I want to begin by reading out of Psalm 118. Verse 1 begins like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than the trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than the trust in princes. And then it drops down to verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. From Keystone staff and from Keystone's elders, uh, we want to have a, a little bit of a message to share to you to say, we miss you. Uh, we're grateful for the technology that has allowed us to be able to interact online, but we do long for the day that we can join uh, together face-to-face uh, and worship as one collected body. And so I want to um, address a handful of things that have come up in the last week. Um, and the first one might be just to provide some encouragement to say um, one little truth. You're not alone. Now, I know some of you are forcibly or voluntarily quarantined at home. Uh, some of you will be isolated in various regions um, for the foreseeable future. And you may feel alone, uh, but I want to encourage you and say you are not alone. When Jesus ended up giving his a great commission. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The, the good news that God has been with his people and promises to be with his people was a source of encouragement and hope for countless people and countless times. And the other good news that we have in this time is that not only do we have the presence of God with us, but we also have the benefit of the church. And I understand that we're scattered. But the Lord has given his church commandments to love one another, serve one another, care for one another, bear with one another. And simply because we're apart doesn't mean that we can't do those things. It's just going to look different. And so Keystone elders have met uh, in the last week uh, to try to figure out how are we going to chart this course and navigate the crisis that's ahead of us. And in one of the things that we decided, we, we said that um, it's moving at such a constant pace that we don't feel like we're able to give great answers to what's coming up. We just don't know. So within that, we have a couple of guiding principles. One, we want to have uh, our faith and the good news of the gospel shape the way that we look at the virus uh, and how we choose to, to care for and shepherd the church through this situation. And out of um, looking out for the uh, impact of the virus on those who are most vulnerable at Keystone, um, we're choosing in most cases to follow the CDC's recommendations and follow lo local health officials' recommendations when it comes to gathering. 
What that means is that over the next few weeks, Keystone has decided to close or suspend all activities, including worship services like this. Uh, but that includes care groups, it includes youth group, it includes Bible studies. Um, we're trying to take all of those things online as much as we can. And in, in addition to those, Keystone is practicing um, maybe some common sense precautions uh, when ministry does mean that we need to gather. Uh, and that means like hand washing, uh, it means social distancing, uh, it means that if some of us feel like we are uh, sick, uh, that we've been exposed to the virus, that we stay at home. And so during this time, the elders are trying to figure out how are the best ways that we can minister to the body. And so I want to say thank you for your patience and your prayers. Uh, over the next few weeks, Keystone will be unrolling a handful of new strategies uh, that we think will be helpful in being able to build up the church, continue on our mission to make disciples who make disciples. And so in that time, you might end up seeing uh, live streaming video. Uh, you might end up seeing... Uh, prayer groups and care groups meeting virtually via a video conference call. Uh, we haven't figured out all of those details, and so it's still unrolling, uh, but you can find all information about upcoming changes to Keystone's ministry uh, at keystonechurch.org. If you go to www.keystonechurch.org, uh, you'll find a link there uh, that will have our COVID-19 response page where we will constantly be updating uh, with resources for you to continue to uh, fuel your faith in the weeks ahead. You'll find things like tips for family worship. Uh, you'll find news articles and links that would help you identify um, what's happening. You'll see uh, updates from the church uh, and you'll see tools that we might distribute to you so that you can lead your families and lead your homes well. So let me say again. You are not alone in this, and we want to be here to help. And to be here to help means that we need to know what the needs are. And so maybe you are currently figuring out, okay, in the days ahead, I'm not sure how I'm going to do this or that. Um, we want to know what your needs are. And likewise, there might be people who are thinking, um, Brendan, I'd like to be able to serve and help. How can I do that? Uh, we we want to know that you are able to help. And so if you go to keystonechurch.org slash compassion, keystonechurch.org slash compassion, uh, you'll find uh, two different link links there. One that would say, I need help, uh, and another link that says, I would like to help. And depending upon which group you fall into, click that link, fill out the form that's there, uh, and you'll be uh, connected with somebody from our compassion ministry uh, who can help supply need or help direct you in ways to serve. Uh, another way to contact the office in that way would be to send an email to compassion at keystonechurch.org. That's compassion uh, at keystonechurch.org. So um, we're not sure exactly what the extent uh, of the virus will be on us, but one of the ways that the elders have identified as a possible um, need in the future will be in regards to finances. Um, we expect that there will be some significant uh, pain points regarding finances and loss of work. And so in light of that news, the elders have decided to put a discretionary spending freeze uh, on all ministries and try to pare down our church expenses uh, as much as possible. We know that for us to be able to continue to minister to the church, that we will need resources uh, and we're willing to spend the resources we need to to be able to serve the church. 
but I felt like it was important for us to let you know um, that there are a handful of ways that if you are able uh, to give that you can give. The, the first way is if you continue to write checks, uh, we would prefer that you would e uh, to mail them into the church. Our admin and counters won't be in every day, so if you do send a check in, you can expect a delay. Uh, the second way that you can give is to go online, www.keystonechurch.org give. Uh, and if you go to that page, keystonechurch.org give, uh, there are instructions on that sheet where you'd be able to set up a one-time gift uh, or a recurring offering. The third way that you can give is if you download uh, the Church Center app for your mobile device, um, follow the links to create the account, log in, uh, that you can give very simply through the app. If you have any questions regarding how to log on to uh, the website or how to give through the app, uh, you can send an, in, an email to info at keystonechurch.org uh, and one of our admin will be able to answer any of the questions you have. So as we turn uh, to the morning where we would normally give as a church, uh, I want you to join me in prayer uh, as we reflect um, to God, his goodness. Father, we come before you believing that you are good and that your steadfast love endures forever. And we come to you acknowledging that you are better to trust in than anything else. We can trust you more than we can trust the government. We can trust you more than we can trust an organization. We can trust you more than we even are able to trust our friends and family. Father, as, as we've seen the illusion of control slip through our fingers, we're reminded of our fragility how things that we once thought were firm and solid have washed away. And Lord, you are a rock. You are our anchor. You are our hope, our refuge and strength. You are our very present help in times of trouble. And so, Lord, we turn our faces to you during this season. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to be able to see your kindness and provision that we might see your steadfast love during this time and that you might use this season, this crisis, to be able to magnify your name, that as a church we might respond to this crisis in ways that would reveal that our hope is not found on earth but in you. Lord, we praise you for the ways that you have blessed Keystone over the last few decades and we trust that you will continue to provide all that we need for us to love one another, care for one another, serve one another, and bear with one another. And we ask that you would use this offering that we give to amplify the message of Jesus Christ in our own hearts and into our community. That you might be able to advance your name and fame for others to see the hope and the joy and the satisfaction that comes from seeing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So, Lord, you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Keith Rohr, preaching pastor here at Keystone Church, and uh, glad to be with you this morning. As Pastor Brandon just said, uh, things are a little bit different, not just at 
Keystone Church, but around the world uh, on these, in these weeks. And they are really, I think it's fair to describe them as unparalleled times. We've got schools closed. It looks like it's going to be for weeks, perhaps months. Non-essential businesses here in Pennsylvania closed down. Not supposed to be with groups larger than 10. And uh, for all intents and purposes, normal life has come to a screeching halt. One of my favorite movies is Bruce Willis's Tears of the Sun, a story about a small group of seals, American seals that are dropped in into Nigeria in the midst of a civil war. And their mission is to extract an American citizen who is a physician at a Catholic mission. The only thing he didn't count on was she wants to take a lot of her people out with her as well, Nigerians, 75 to 100 of them. He eventually agrees to do this, and they're trying to escape through the jungle into Cameroon. And they know that there's a group of rebels chasing them. And so they're driving through the night as well. And then they get a urgent message from the seal who's bringing up the rear, whispered, danger close, danger close. The rebels are right on their trail, right on their heels. And so the group is quickly instructed to melt into the jungle, get off the trail and everyone be quiet because there's danger close. My guess is that if I could sit just 20 of you down in a room right now, you'd have all kinds of thoughts about what we've been going through the last couple of weeks here in the United States. Some of you probably feel like the whole thing is overblown. It's not that bad of a virus. After all, more people are killed by the flu every year than this. Others of you might think we really have to do what we're doing and maybe we should do even more. We've watched with concerns as the financial markets not just tremble, but are in free fall. Three years of an amazing bull market, the likes of which it has never seen, gone. All the gains evaporated in three weeks. CNN reported on Thursday that experts are saying this pandemic could last 18 months and include multiple waves of illness. This will deal a substantial economic blow to the world. Or put differently, a lot more people are going to be homeless and hungry, even in this prosperous nation. Unparalleled times. How do we, as Christians, think about these times? Because surely we must think about them rightly in order to react rightly. And I thought this morning we would turn to a time of danger in the scriptures to get a little bit of guidance. And so we're looking at Matthew chapter 8 this morning, beginning at verse 23. It might be good to note that the verses that we're about to read come right after Jesus' discussion about what's it take to be my disciple? Is there a cost to be my disciple? 
And the gospel writers don't always put things in chronological order. In fact, that appears to be the least of their concerns. They're more concerned about the things that they're trying to communicate, the things that they're trying to teach, the focuses that they're trying to emphasize by how they put the material together. And so Jesus was telling people, look, if you want to be my follower, it it could be really costly. I don't have an apartment. I don't have my own home. When it comes time to sleep, I'm either sleeping outdoors or I'm sleeping with a friend. Even birds have nests. Even foxes have holes, but I don't have any place to sleep. And when a man said that he'd like to follow Jesus, but he'd like to go home first and bury his father, Jesus said something that probably seems rather callous to us, unfeeling. Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. In other words, he is setting up what we're going to read by saying the cost of following me is hard. Things you think would be normal for people, I don't have. Relations that you think would be priorities aren't priorities for me. And then Matthew shares this story with us. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. And suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, Why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. And then he got up, rebuked the wind, the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man, they asked. Even the winds and waves obey him. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us, teach us, encourage us, open our eyes, open our ears, help us to smell the wind and the waves this morning, and help us to see the Son of Man with new eyes, and to even see our predicament, our situation, the areas of concern that we have, perhaps with new eyes as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So here you have a group of men. We don't know how many of them there were. Matthew has not yet been called, at least if Matthew has positioned this material chronologically. That's going to come in chapter 9 that Jesus calls Matthew to be his disciple. We're not really sure how many of the disciples were on board at this point, but let's just say for argument there are four. We know there were at least four fishermen among Jesus' uh, disciples' ranks. And so probably at least in the boat this day or this night was Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and his brother John. So two sets of brothers. And if that's the case, these men were at this moment all about one thing. Save us. Despite the fact that they were fishermen, they knew four things. 
One, they knew the sea. And as seas go, this was a very small body of water. Not the Atlantic Ocean. Not the Mediterranean Sea. It's a lake. Eight miles wide, 13 miles long. And these men knew the sea. They knew the fish in the sea. This is what they did for a living. They knew where the fishing holes were. They knew when the fish were running and when it was good to be out in the boat. They knew the sea's weather patterns. And they needed to know them because this was an unusual place. The Sea of Galilee is one of two smallest or lowest seas in the world. At 700 feet below sea level, it has very unusual weather. So the hot, warm air rises off the sea, and when it does, like a magnet, it draws the cooler air from what is today Jordan in the east, the tablelands. And when those two bodies of air meet, it's often violent and it's often sudden. Storms come up very, very quickly, very unexpectedly, and when they do, they can be very dangerous. And the fourth thing that these fishermen knew was that drowning wasn't a great way to die. These are the four things that these fishermen knew. What they saw was Jesus sound asleep with danger close. Now, Jesus was asleep because he was human. He needed the rest. He was tired. And I don't think most of us could conceive of why he would be asleep when a violent storm like this is rocking the boat and the water is coming in over the sides. But he was asleep because he was human and needed rest. He was asleep without fear because he was God. He slept without fear because he was God. Now, they didn't know that yet. And in all fairness to them, their information um, pool was rather limited at this point. They knew Jesus perhaps days or only weeks early in his ministry. But he slept because he was human. He slept without fear because he was God. But their only concern at this point was with their lives. And all they wanted from Jesus was for him to save them. Jesus had a different preoccupation. In fact, it's interesting. When Mark tells this story and when Luke tells this story, they both of them have Jesus calming the wind and the waves first and then having this discussion with them. Matthew puts it this way. And don't get concerned about that. As we talked about in our uh, apologetic series, this is the kind of thing that critics of Christianity will say, see, there's contradictions in the scripture. But we demand things of ancient people that would not have bothered them. And so, for example, if you put uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke into a Jewish courtroom, or into a Roman courtroom for that matter, and they would both tell their stories, one with the Jesus criticism of the disciples first, and two with the taming the waves and winds first, they both would have said, oh, you all three told the truth. The, the important fact to them, the, the truth was that Jesus did these things, not the order in which he did them. But I wonder if Matthew had a purpose in putting this first. He's talking with them about the danger that they're facing. And he asks them a question. 
He has a question for them, and he has an observation for them. The question is, why are you afraid? Verse 26. If I was a disciple in that boat, I think I would have taken exception to that question. Are you kidding us, Jesus? We're, we're about to drown, and you don't think we should get alarmed? Peter might have said, hey, I've got a wife at home that I'm responsible for. As far as we know, he's the only disciple that was married. And had we been in the boat, and the boat's taking on water today, we might have said, hey, the coronavirus is stalking the world. People are dying. I'm out of work. And you don't think that I should be concerned about these things? Jesus' question is, why are you afraid? And then his observation is, you have so little faith. Again, that would seem to me to be exceptionally harsh. These men feared for their lives. And you demean their plea for salvation by saying you have so little faith. Again, don't forget, they haven't been with Jesus very long. They haven't even known Jesus very long. It seems unrealistic for Jesus to expect this great faith of them. And I might say here, what about us? I've been a follower of Jesus for 40 years. Some of you have been followers for longer. Some of you have been followers for 10 years or, or 20 years. What would Jesus say about our faith? It may be that Jesus wasn't really rebuking them here, but rather this was part of their training camp or his training camp for them. After all, what he expects out of them in the days ahead, not just while he is alive, but more importantly, when he is gone back to be with the Father, is pretty significant. And maybe this is part of, he's, he's challenging them. Look, your faith has just begun to grow, and I expect great things out of it in the days ahead. I expect much more out of it in the days ahead. Because life with me is supernatural, you're thinking in the natural. All you want to do is make sure that you go home alive. You're thinking in the natural. Life with me is supernatural because I'm bigger than storms. I'm bigger than sickness. I'm bigger than satanic power. I'm bigger than opposition. I'm even bigger than death. And he speaks to the wind. And all of a sudden... The Sea of Galilee is like glass. And I would have done exactly what they did. They looked at each other and they said, Who is this? Who are you? Now he is God, but they don't know that yet. In fact, it doesn't seem like they became convinced of that until after Jesus' resurrection, with the possible exception of Peter. Who are you? Because if you can control the weather 
What is there that you can't control? And who can control the weather but God and God alone? Jesus showed he can control the weather. He already, back in Matthew chapter 4, has showed that he can control sickness, illness. And we'll see throughout the Gospels that he healed lepers, those with bleeding problems, fevers, the blind. He made the blind see. He made those who were crippled and disabled walk. In fact, Matthew records in verse 23 of chapter 4 that he healed every kind of disease. I assume that means multiple sclerosis. I assume that means diabetes. That means Crohn's disease. I assume that means cancer. In fact, he will go on to even raise people from the dead in several cases. However, most people he didn't. We know for sure that the gospel writers did not include everything that Jesus did and said. They wedged it all in in about 88 chapters. John says at the end of his gospel that if they'd have recorded everything he said and did, all the books in the world could not have contained it. So perhaps there were others that he healed other than the couple, uh, others that he raised from the dead. But even so, he didn't raise all from the dead. In fact, my guess is that he didn't raise very many at all from the dead. That people continue to get sick and people continue to die. And Jesus never ever promised that suffering wouldn't afflict us. But he did say that the worst suffering would not be the end of things. In fact, Jesus says that he died to kill our fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse, the middle of verse 14 begins, For only as a human being could Jesus die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus died to kill our fear of death, the, the greatest fear that any of us could have. So we want to be careful here that we're not saying, and Jesus is not promising, smooth sailing on the Sea of Galilee or in the midst of a coronavirus epidemic. In fact, three of the four, if we're going to say four men were in this boat that night, three of those four would be murdered for preaching the gospel. I will keep some of you from danger, he is saying, but I will carry you through all danger. Some of you I keep from danger, certain kinds of danger, but no matter what danger you do go through, I will carry you through all of them. I am with you in all of your suffering. In fact, Jesus became one of us. He became one of us so that he could be keenly aware of our needs and our sufferings and be ready to help. Again, Hebrews, now in chapter 4, verse 15, this high priest, speaking of Jesus, 
this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I'm sure that just as you have been doing, I have been glued to the news and seeing what's happening. Maybe it, wouldn't, maybe it would be good for us not to watch quite as much news, but I know it's hard not to want to follow what's the latest. You might be wondering, is this kind of the beginning of the end? Because in my lifetime, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen schools shut down for weeks and maybe months. I've never seen businesses be forced to close by the government. Could this be the beginning of the end? I was walking to my mailbox late this past week. And my neighbor was walking out just at the same time I was. And we began talking, keeping social distancing. We were probably about 15 feet away from each other. And she's a believer, too. And she said, I wonder if this isn't the beginning of some of the things that we're going to see in the final days before Jesus comes back. And it may be certainly possible. Some of the pastors in the country of Singapore have been proclaiming this as God's judgment. It's interesting. Some of them are saying it's God's judgment. Some of them are promising their people that they won't get the virus if they're a follower of Jesus. Well, that's, that's nonsense. That's not been promised to us. And frankly, it could be that it's nonsense to say it's judgment. But it could be. It could be a judgment on unbelievers. And it could be judgment on us in the household of faith. Scripture says that, Peter says that judgment will begin with the household of faith. So maybe it's not the end times or the beginning of the end times. But maybe some of us will be afflicted. And some of us even could die. But praise be to God, in Christ, the fear of death in its rawest form has been stolen from us. That's been eradicated. It's not that we won't fear the pain that often accompanies death, but we know that death is not the end, that there's a new beginning after death. And so the Apostle Paul can say in Philippians 1, 20 and 21, I, I'm torn whether whether I prefer to die or prefer to stay here. I know there's a lot of work that needs to be done here and I have a lot of ministry that I could still do here. But I also know that if I die, I'll go to be with Jesus. And that's better by far. And I think the Apostle Paul had a, a grasp on that in a way that perhaps few of us do. I know certainly that I don't. Here's the question I want to ask us as we get to deeper and deeper into this epidemic, this pandemic, could it be that maybe like the situation in the boat 
with Jesus' disciples that day. That this could be more than a moment, but weeks and months and perhaps even years of Jesus' training camp. The disciples were astonished that Jesus tamed the unruly wind and waves. My guess is in reading these few verses that we tend to be astonished rather by the fact that he expected more faith from his followers. It's unrealistic for Jesus to expect great faith of us in 2021 if all he expects of us is to simply exist and go about our business from day to day. On the other hand, Jesus' expectation of great faith might be very realistic, even necessary, if he intended that his followers would be defined not just by the doctrine they believe, but by the disciples they reproduce. Let me say that again. Maybe Jesus' expectation of great faith in us and among us as a family of faith is realistic if he intended his followers to be defined more by just the doctrine they believe and rather by the disciples that they reproduce. If he intended his followers not just to sit and soak up information but to be poised to serve to send and to go to the 5.5 million people around the world, some of whom are dying in this pandemic, who do not know Jesus Christ. If he intended us to be world shakers and not just churchgoers. I'm going to put three questions to you. Four weeks ago, what mattered to you more than anything else? Four weeks ago, before any of this landed on our shores, this was a problem in China and some other places. Four weeks ago, what mattered to you more than anything else? My second question is, what matters most to you now? The vast majority that I'm talking to are either... Um, their companies have been cut back or you've been sent home. Your school, your, your children are at home. Some of you are in places where you're not supposed to even go out of your house or not to do so except for the food buying spree or something other essential, doctor perhaps. What matters most to you now? And then the third question is, is either answer, either the one for four weeks ago or the one for now, are either of those, do you think, God's top priorities for you? Were they the right priorities four weeks ago? Are they the right priorities now? Or does God have some other set of priorities for you or for me? A number of years ago, I was meeting with our school, local public school superintendent. And the only agenda for the meeting was I, sa I said, uh, I'm here for no other purpose than to pray for you. 
And I said, can you tell me the top things that you want me to pray for? Top things that you're concerned about. Top things that you want more than anything else for the students of this school. And he didn't even hesitate. He said, oh, pray for the safety of our students. Now, of course, this is in a climate, uh, in a culture where people with mental illnesses and other agendas are shooting up our schools. And so kids go to school with no more concern about anything than that they pass an algebra test or that they don't get picked on by a bully in the playground. And then there are these horrible, horrible tragedies. And so his greatest concern was that the students in his school remain safe. Now, when we use the superlative, we say the most, the best, the most important. We're talking about the one thing that we can't do without. So the one thing that he couldn't do without was his children, the students in the school being saved. And yet since the late 1800s, the most important purpose of educating children in our public schools in America is so that they reach full potential and learn how to participate in a democratic society. And a number of murderers have enabled that purpose to be dislodged by another purpose, a more important purpose. Education has become of secondary importance. The most important thing is that our students stay safe. And so here's what I wonder out of that. I think, I think that these days are meant to be educational for us. And there might be a variety of purposes that God has for those of us who follow Jesus. But at the very least, at the very least, God has this question for us. Where does your purpose, where does your trust live? Jesus was looking at these fishermen in the boat and he's saying, where does your trust live? And now he's looking at people cooped up in their houses and saying, where does your trust live? Does your trust live in your can-do attitude? In other words, your own abilities, your own, um, uh, your own smarts, your own education, your own creativity. Does your trust live in your can-do attitude? Or does your trust live in your network, the people that you know? the friends that you have, the business contacts you have. When our children were growing up, they used to joke about mom and dad's network. It was a pretty big deal for them. They got jobs through the network that mom and dad had, the people that they knew. And you all have some kind of network. Does your trust live in your network? Does your trust live in your job? Does your trust live at your bank and the accounts that you have, the money you have? Does your trust live in your portfolio, which probably has evaporated to a large degree in the last three weeks? Or does your trust live in Jesus Christ? Let me encourage you, don't just endure these days. Take advantage of them. Yes, if you're home with your family, Enjoy the time with them. Do fun things together. Laugh. Make memories. 
And husbands, you can probably check off one or two things on your honeydew list, at least if you don't have to go to the hardware store to fill it. But don't miss the opportunities that these days provide for us to grow our faith. Little more time with the Lord than you normally would spend. Wade into the scriptures. Read five minutes instead of two or ten instead of five or meditate on a few verses instead of trying to read a whole chapter and just buzz through them. Discuss faith questions that you've always wondered about but you never really had time to sit down and talk with anybody about. And if you're married, great time to just spend maybe even hours talking about some big issues of the faith. Ask your children questions. Maybe they're questions that you don't even have answers to, but just to get them thinking about them and start healthy conversations in your family. Pray more for yourself, for loved ones, for friends who are struggling. Pray for this family of faith. Pray for small businesses and the unemployed. When word came down on Thursday that uh, Governor, Rich, uh, Governor Wolf was shutting down all non-essential businesses, I sat down and just jotted a list of all the small businesses that I know that are represented at Keystone or those that are uh, run by people at Keystone. And very quickly came up with dozen or more. And then that's to say nothing about all the people who work for small businesses in, in our church. And began to pray for those small business leaders. Pray for the nation and its leaders. The people that have to make hard, hard decisions. And pray for the world. Let God enlarge our faith in these days. Because we may need it for larger and larger assignments. Last weekend, I took a number of uh, a couple of our grandsons to see the movie Call of the Wild, the remake of it. By the way, a really good movie. And in it, one of the um, French Canadians that were driving a, a um, dog sled to carry the mail from one spot to another made this comment. He described what he did for a living, the job that he had this way. We carry lives, we carry hope, we carry love. And isn't that what we do as disciples of Jesus Christ? We carry lives, we carry hope, we carry love. We may have greater and greater opportunities to do that in the days ahead. Ones in which we would have never envisioned just four weeks ago. Let's pray that God will help us. Father, I pray that you would increase my faith. As the disciples said, not on that day in the boat, but a day later, they said, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Would you increase our faith? Uh, that you would enlarge our vision for the use of that faith, not just in our own personal lives, not just in our families, not just in our workplace, but even the world. These days as we watch the news, we can go to places like Italy. We can go to places like China. We can go to places like the Middle East. We can go to places like New York. We can go to places like California. And we can pray for people there. May we see with your eyesight in these days. And imagine with your imagination what could happen. As the people of God grow in their faith. And see a Jesus 
that's far bigger than a Jesus they ever imagined before. In Jesus' name, amen.